would turn in the Bible to Revelation chapter 6. Sometimes on these holidays we break away and go to a kind of more specific passage, but today we're going to stick with Revelation where we are. I think it fits. Fits with Mother's Day. And we're going to look at the fifth seal being opened. Revelation chapter 6, today we're going to look at verses 9 through 11. When I think of Mother's Day, I cannot help but think of how much moms do. I've said often that it is the biggest and hardest job that there is being a mom. Sleepless nights, long days, late nights, early mornings, changing diapers, giving baths, preparing meals, teaching how to do everything, giving rides, helping kids learn, parent-teacher conferences, discipline, instruction, answering questions, being always there. We could go on and on, and literally on and on with all that mothers do. Moms are so sacrificial. They sacrifice virtually everything for the sake of their children. If we wanted to, we could create a pretty deep sob story and feel emotional for just how much moms do for their kids. And yet, if you were to ask any of the moms, without hesitation, they would say, it was worth it. And we would gladly do it all over again. It is a beautiful picture of sacrifice. I stand here today as a man and a pastor and a husband and a father because of my mom's sacrifice. And in a real sense, I can say that I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ because of my mom's sacrifice. My mom sacrificed so much for us, and I recognize that. Sacrifice is when you are willing to give up something. Mothers are a beautiful picture of sacrifice. Our fifth seal in the book of Revelation, the chapter six and the seven seals, is all about sacrifice. The fifth seal that we're going to look at today, last week we looked at the first four seals. The fifth seal that we will look at today shows the martyrs, those who have been killed for the faith, killed for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a heavy subject, but one that is all about sacrifice. And for as much as we admire and honor our moms today for all that they have sacrificed, I do not want to equate the sacrifice of a mother with the sacrifice of a martyr who gives his life literally, physically, dies for the cause of Christ. But I do want a good picture of sacrifice to help us see the glorious, wonderful picture of somebody who's been sacrificed for the gospel. Read with me in Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. 
Sometimes the Bible is simple and basic and, man, sometimes it's rated R. This morning is one of those. And yet we still preach it on Mother's Day. If a church is going to be a church, we've got to have parents that want to disciple their kids. And so all the questions that might arise, I trust that you will go home and in humility explain this passage. The Bible teaches us here in the unfolding of these seals of what is happening to the world from the time of Christ's first coming to the time of Christ's second coming, culminating as it's getting worse and worse until the end. Last week, we looked at the first four seals, which are representative of different things that are characteristics of this world. The gospel spreading or Christ conquering, war, famine, and death. But the fifth seal is a little bit more clear. There's more verses, there's more here. It's about those in the time from Christ's first coming to his second coming that have been killed for Christ. Martyrs, the ultimate witness, those who have died. And in some ways, you and I are so disconnected from that, like we may not even know anybody who's ever actually been killed for Jesus. You may have read some books, maybe, but we don't know anybody. And so today, I want you to hear and I want you to feel that we are living in a world that doesn't love God. I'm not saying the world is the worst that it can be. The world is filled with good people, but good people that don't love God. And the goal of life is loving God, not being good, certainly not being the best that we can be on our own direction. And this passage in Revelation in the fifth seal is absolutely fitting for our day and for our church. I want to read this quote to you from Tom Schreiner. He says, My contention is that we desperately need the message of revelation for today's world. There is a great conflict between good and evil in our world, and the Christian faith is under attack, as it was in the first century. John here in Revelation reminds us in this book that God rules, even in an evil day, and that God has not forsaken his people, and that goodness will finally triumph and prevail. In the midst of evil, in a world in which the Christian faith is under attack, we need hope and assurance that evil will not have the last word. And Revelation teaches us that a new world is coming, that a new creation is coming, and that all will be well. When we read this fifth seal here of those being killed and we hear of their prayer or their crying out, what, a, what an image that is. We hear of their prayer and their crying out to the sovereign Lord, the one holy and true. You and I are gripped by the heavy, weighty reality of this life. This life often doesn't deliver. This life often disappoints. This life often hurts. And yet we have not lost our lives for the sake of the truth. And many have. Many people have died for the cause of Christ. They have sacrificed their lives for the glory of God, for the truth of God, and for the worth of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to give us two points and spend a lot of time on each of them. The first is that souls are more valuable. Souls are more valuable. For you kids using a listening page, that's the first of our two points. Souls are more valuable. 
Verse 9 begins with him opening the fifth fifth seal. We know that he that is opening the seals is the lamb. It says that in verse 1. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. The lamb being Christ. The lamb who was slain. The lamb who is worshipped there at the throne worthy to receive all power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. The lamb who has all authority in heaven and on earth. The lamb who reigns. It is the lamb who approaches the one seated on the throne because he is worthy to approach the one seated on the throne. It is the lamb that stands out absolutely distinct from anything else in all creation, in heaven or on earth or under the earth. It is exclusively the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is exclusively the Lord Jesus Christ who is in charge of everything. He and his Father are united in this. And so he opens each of the seals to see what the scroll is revealing And here he opens the fifth seal and John is allowed to see, this is just a vision, this is one vision, this is one revelation, John is allowed to see under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. There is a category in history for people dying for the word of God. There is. If you've never read a biography of somebody who lost their life for the cause, please see one of us pastors. We would love to give you some. We would love to give you some. There is a category of those who have lost their lives. They were slain, killed, martyred for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. It's a real category. And the answer to that would be that it's worth it. It's a good thing. A bad thing, but a good thing, a glorious thing. But I want you to focus in here, because we'll get into the rest of it, but I want us to focus in here at verse 9 where he sees souls. Does everybody see that? He doesn't necessarily see people. He certainly doesn't see bodies. He sees souls. There is an aspect of this life that you must understand and believe that life is spiritual. Our bodies are certainly closely connected to our souls, but we are more than just our bodies. We are more than our bodies. Our souls are are more valuable than our bodies. Notice how fitting this is with what the rest of the Bible teaches us about the body. To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. You've heard that before, right? It's what the New Testament teaches. You can be absent from your body and still be you. You can be absent from your body and be with God, in the presence of God, standing before God. You can still be you without a body. This is what John sees. This is fitting with the New Testament because the Bible seems to say that you will not get your resurrected body until the return of Christ. So those who have died have not been given a body yet. They are somewhere in some capacity as just their soul. Now, how do you see a soul disconnected from a body? I have no idea. There's some of these things that we don't know. But God gave us this book for us to read, and so as much as we can understand it, praise God, and he doesn't want it to be confusing. John sees souls. Souls are more valuable In the passage that Matt read earlier from Mark chapter 8, where it says if anybody wants to save his life, he'll lose it. And if anybody loses his life for my sake, he'll save it. That great quote there, right? But it's also there where we hear this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
it's possible for you to be killing it in life according to world standards. You may be more fit, may have money flowing. You may be able to do whatever you want to do. You may be able to create things in your life that you think make you happy. You may be winning by a lot of perspectives and yet have lost your soul. You ever thought about that? Your body and certain aspects of who you are may be thriving, but your soul may be dying. You could have lost your soul. You could have gone dark and evil and disconnected and indifferent and cold and calloused and no fear of God before your eyes. And yet, perhaps doing really well in a lot of other ways. It's fascinating that he sees the soul. He sees the souls. This is so good for us on a lot of levels. Answer because it, it answers for us that when somebody dies in a situation that's not good or is unfortunate, and they were in Christ, they had salvation, they were forgiven of their sins, that they are there with God. He sees their souls. And their souls are there because their bodies were slain for the word of God. Their bodies were slain as a witness that they were bearing. But yet their souls are there. He sees their souls. Now, I don't know if looking at a soul, if he can tell if it's a, what their name is, if he can tell if they were tall or short, or if he can tell if they, you know, if, if they were young or old. We don't know anything like that. But he sees souls. You and I need to remember that we have souls and that our souls are accountable to God. If we're not careful, we will become so into like shallow thinking that we are turned away from accountability because it doesn't really seem to matter much. It's just my body. It's just my life. And before you know it, I'm going to be dead and in the grave anyway. What's it really matter? People talk like that. You know that. And yet we need to remember that the Bible teaches us that we are spiritual people. Your body may not be bothered by it too much, which, hey, in another day, in another sermon, we could make the case that, hey, your body is a part of this. That's a good conversation too, but not for today. But no matter what you're thinking or feeling about your body, we need to remember that you have a soul, a soul that was made by God for God, a soul that God is desiring to redeem and ransom and set that soul focused on him. In the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment from God, the biggest, highest, most important commandment from God, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You cannot ignore your soul. You cannot live only for your body. You must recognize in the book of Revelation, at the fifth seal, in chapter six, John sees souls. You need to ask yourself, will your soul go to heaven? You need to ask yourself, when your body's done and rotting in the grave or burn up through the rise of our popular cremations that we have going on now, right? Whatever happens to your body, we're not really worried about it. But what about your soul? Will your soul be there? Will your soul make it to heaven? We need to think about this. Another thing this helps us think about with souls is this really common phrase that we're hearing more and more of my body, my choice. Now, I want to be extremely careful here. It's a complicated issue. We have a huge heart for everybody struggling 
and suffering through it. We do. As Christians, we don't swing hammers to beat people down. But this morning, I want you to hear that there are souls involved. Souls. At both ends. The baby in the womb has a soul. And the mother carrying the baby has a soul. Loved by God. Made by God for him. Complicated as can be. Yes. We're not swinging hammers here. We have lives to sacrifice ourselves to serve those hurting through these issues. Sacrifice is a good word for everybody who wants to speak up for it. We ought to be those willing to sacrifice ourselves for anybody and everybody involved with it because people are souls and people have souls. And so, as we navigate this heavy, heavy issue, may we remember we are more than just bodies. We have souls, and our souls are valuable. John, at this fifth seal, sees souls of people who have been slain killed. And as I've said, I know that this is not really that big of a deal to American Christianity. Maybe none of us know somebody who have lost their life for Christ. But I want you to hear yet again today that this is very much so an issue in our world and has been. One commentator writes, we can look back over 2,000 years of church history and we can say these things are so, that history verifies this reading of Revelation. Furthermore, believers in many parts of the world today are being slain because of their witness for Christ now, in this year. The death and resurrection of Christ does not immediately overcome evil in the world. Instead, evil intensifies as people of God are put to death for Christ's sake. At the same time, John clarifies that in all these events, God is working out his purposes, that his sovereignty has not been sacrificed, nor his rule annulled. You and I are to read here at this fifth seal in Revelation 6, and we are to feel that what we are doing here today, gathering as a church to look at this word and to worship the risen Christ, we are to know that this thing, living for the truth, proclaiming the truth, worshiping Jesus Christ is costing people their lives, and we cannot forget that. We are to imagine that here today, maybe nobody's going to be killed for it. But in other parts of the world, our brothers and sisters are dying for it. We are to know that. We are to feel that. And we are to understand that we have to kind of really work to understand this fifth seal. But throughout the history of the world, in many places, and throughout many of the centuries, they read this and they're like, yes. God knows why. God knows what's happening. God understands what we're going through. The souls of those in heaven preach a message to us, don't they? They preach a message to us that souls are more valuable than our bodies. And they preach a message to us that the sacrifice was worth it. That's my second point. Number one, souls are more valuable. Number two, the sacrifice is worth it. It's Mother's Day, and that's what I opened with, that yet mothers sacrifice so much, they would all say without hesitation, it was worth it, and I would do it again. Many moms would say, I'd go back in a heartbeat to get those young years back, preparing meals and giving baths, going to ball games and teaching kids how to read. Man, those were the good times. 
filled with sacrifice, but worth it. This is the message that we get of the martyrs in heaven slain for the word of God, that it was worth it. But they don't just say it was worth it. We see God teaching us through this seal. Look with me at verse 10. John sees the souls, and then he sees them crying out with a loud voice. And there's a lot of vivid imagery there, right? Crying out with a loud voice. Here's what they cry. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long? I've got this underlined in my Bible, and I hope you will too. How long? Certainly martyrs in heaven are crying that out. But it's also a cry of Christians in our day, isn't it? How much longer will I suffer with this? How much longer will I battle depression? How much longer will I battle loneliness? How much longer will I struggle with this anxiety? How much longer will I struggle with my loneliness? How much longer will I struggle with my insecurities? How much longer, God, you say you're coming back. How much longer? How much longer will we look at the injustices in the world? How much longer will we battle the issues of our day? How much longer, God? If you read the Psalms, you see this very question over and over again. I think it's Psalm 13 that says, how long, Lord, will you forget me? He so feels that the presence and the work and the justice of God is being overlooked in his life, that he asks God, are you forgetting me? How much longer, God? It's a prayer of time, and it's a prayer for all time. How much longer? Jesus said in the New Testament that he's coming soon. It's 2022, and he hasn't come yet. How much longer? How much longer are things going to get worse, and how much longer are we going to see people fight and divide, and how much longer are we going to see sin rampant and evil thrive? How much longer? But specifically here, their prayer and their cry is, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Their specific question is, how much longer are you going to let this go wrong? And let me remind you or, or, or assure you, they're not saying it from their standpoint. Like, when are you going to have our back? Like, when are you going to show that we were the one that's right? That's not it. Their prayer here is, God, when are you going to make it known that you are what it's about? We died for you, and that was right, but they don't know it. That's why they killed us. So when are you going to make it known to everybody that it is all about you, that you're the one holy and true? Notice they call him, even in their prayer, sovereign Lord, holy and true. When, God, are you going to show every soul that you're the sovereign Lord, holy and true? When, God, hurry up and do it. Why are we living in a day where billions and billions of people do not believe that he's the sovereign Lord, holy and true? And if God can show them that, do it, God. How much longer? That's their prayer. Why do Christians the world over continue to suffer and be persecuted and hated and killed for the cause? How much longer, God? That's their prayer, specifically in regards to their context of they had been slain. There isn't an answer to that question. There isn't an answer to the timing. God works on his own time frame, and he has glorious good purposes for why he does what he does. If God wants his people to wait, his people should wait. And in the waiting, we are to remember that Jesus has not promised to protect his people from suffering. Listen to me. Jesus has not promised to protect his people from suffering, but he has promised to preserve his people through suffering. 
He has not promised to keep you from suffering, to protect you from suffering, but he has promised to preserve you through suffering. In this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If they treated me that way, they'll treat you that way. If they hated me, they will hate you. If they kill me, they will kill you. Jesus has never said that you will not suffer, but he has told you that he will be with you, he will walk through the fire with you, and he will preserve you through suffering. So their prayer is how much longer. But they use a phrase here that's good for us. Look at what they say. It says in verse 10, before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And in the book of Revelation, this kind of becomes a theme. A theme of people who are of the earth and a theme of people who are of heaven, of eternal life, of the Lamb. People who live for this world and people whose minds are focused on this world and people who cannot imagine the next world or people who have no desire for the next world, these are two different categories. Commentator Wilcox says, John being in the heavenlies sees everything in black and white. He who is not with me is against me, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. And so there really is no middle ground. All People are either citizens of heaven or inhabitants of earth. Think about that. And more than your body, your soul is either longing for heaven or longing for earth. Life on earth. Better life on earth. Satisfied life on earth. Pleasurable life on earth. Longing for heaven or longing for earth. John sees this very clearly. Shriner writes, the souls of those slain for Christ's sake have not been vindicated publicly. And the wicked have not been punished for slaughtering the righteous. Thus, the martyrs under the altar are calling out for justice. They voice their prayer to the sovereign one, the one power enough to, powerful enough to enforce justice. They voice their prayer to the one who is holy and true. Since he is holy, he cannot ultimately tolerate evil. Since he is true, he is faithful to his own. They know this. They died for it. They believed it to the end, and so they cry out for it. They cry out for it. What a thought. And in verse 11, God answers. When I said a minute ago that there is not an answer to it, I was meaning the time frame. We don't know when. We don't know how much longer. We don't know next year or next century. In our lifetime, I think a lot of us like to say, ah, oh, man, it's getting, it's getting close. I think it's coming in my lifetime. But I want to assure you that every generation in the last 20 centuries has said, I think it's coming in my lifetime. We don't know. But God does answer back. Look at verse 11. Last verse of the day for us. Remember, we're still talking about sacrifice being worth it. Then they were each given a white robe. White represents purity and cleanliness. White represents their salvation, that their sins have been washed clean. They were given, each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think they are at rest. They are at rest. Their souls are with God. And yet that cry would make you think, oh, they're suffering, but they're not. What's suffering is the glory of God, the worth of God in our day. That's what bothers them. That's why they're crying out. They are not suffering. They are resting in the presence of God because they have finished the race. They fought the good fight. They have made it. Whoever perseveres to the end will be saved. And they did. They died for the cause. They sacrificed their lives. They were sacrificed for the word of God. And it was worth it. 
And so God says, gives them a white robe and tells them to rest a little longer. And then he says, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. What a comfort, right? God tells them, y'all just keep resting. There's a lot more people that are gonna die for the cause. There's a lot more people that are gonna be a witness to the glory of Christ. A lot more people, a lot more people that are gonna be slain for Jesus' sake. And they are, and they have been, and they are, and they will be killed for Christ. When you read this passage, you're left going, wow, what a sacrifice, an ultimate dying for the cause. Many a times I've seen a child suffering in the hospital, battling through stuff. We've heard of stories of children dying. We know children that have died. And you know what I've heard many a times? I've heard the parents with tears say, I'd give anything to be able to switch places with them. You've heard that before, right? I'd give anything to be able to switch places with my kid. It's a mom or a dad being willing to take the pain or the suffering or the death so that their kid won't. It's their parents saying that it would be worth it for me to suffer in their place. Martyrs are a witness to the glory of God, the great love that God has for us, the real and lasting salvation that says, he gave everything for me. I'd give anything for him. Eternal life awaits. Heaven awaits. I'd give anything for him. The sacrifice is worth it. But notice that the Bible does tell us here that that is coming. Wait a little longer, rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. In other words, God has an idea, a fixed number of how long and how many are going to deal with this. Will it make it all the way here? Will it happen in the USA? Will it happen in Fairdale, Kentucky? I don't know. God's ways are not our ways. But if it comes, it will be worth it. This is a beautiful passage to call you to be a missionary. This is a beautiful passage to get you to see that giving all of your life and accepting the call to go wherever God wants you to go and live your life for Jesus is absolutely worth it. So dying for the cause for the love of God, for the spread of the word, so that people will know, so that people will hear, so that people will make it to heaven, so that souls will respond to believe is absolutely worth living for regardless of what it costs us. Lose your house, lose your job, lose your money, lose the comforts, it would be worth it. Lose the status, lose the attention, lose the identity, it would be worth it. If God is calling you to go and go and go so that the world would know the truth of the glory of Jesus Christ who died to save us, then do it, go. See here in this fifth seal in Revelation 6 that there are many who've already given their lives and there are many more that will give their lives and it is glorious. God knows they are resting in his presence. He's given them a white robe and he says just a little bit longer. Let me add to the number. Sacrifice is worth it. I want to show you two examples. There are tons of examples, but I want to show you two examples. Turn with me quickly to Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Turn with me quickly. We're about done. Y'all are getting out of here early today for Mother's Day. I want you to know that the Bible teaches us 
that vindication is coming. I want you to hear that God says, vengeance is mine. Justice will be served for everything in your life that upsets you and triggers you and and you just can't stand that the world is that way. I want you to hear that God knows, he sees, he's got it under control and he will make every single bit of it right. He will deal with it in his time. You're to be comforted by that. Here's a great example of one slain for the cause, Matthew 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. See what the issue is here, right? The fame of Jesus. Everybody see that? That's the issue, Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Look at this. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. John the Baptist was not a coward. John the Baptist told this man that he was not allowed to sleep with that woman. Okay, he was not a coward. He was faithful to God and the fame of Jesus in that conversation. Oh, may we have more brave people. Verse five, and though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But... When Herod's birthday came, what a birthday gift, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, okay, so this is the one in the affair. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. I told you that the Bible is rated R sometimes. John the Baptist is described as the greatest man to ever be born among women. John the Baptist was a faithful witness to Christ. He didn't get rich off of it. He didn't really get any fame off of it. It cost him his neck. It cost him his head. And it was worth it. Because Christ is worthy of our lives, our devotion, our commitment, our love, and our sacrifice. Now turn over to Acts chapter seven. Acts chapter seven. That was John the Baptist. This is a guy named Stephen. He's being wrongly accused. They say that Stephen is a blasphemer against God. He doesn't believe the Bible. He doesn't honor God. He's being wrongly and falsely accused. So they give Stephen a chance to speak up, and for 53 straight verses, Stephen does in Acts chapter 7. Let's start reading at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen is a man full of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And it cost him his life. Knocked down, buried under, knocked out, and killed by stones. And it was worth it. 
because it was for Christ. He didn't want it to go that way, but it went that way. John the Baptist didn't want it to go that way, but it went that way. We don't know the direction our lives will go, but if it comes to us denying the faith or denying the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ or moving toward disobedience, may the power of God be at work inside of us and say souls are more valuable and sacrifice is worth it. There was a young missionary in the 1950s that went to South America and he was killed for his life some 70 years ago to which he said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Sacrifice is worth it. But I think the call here today isn't so much are you willing to die for Christ. In large part, I don't think many of you all will have to face that. It's something to consider. What would you do if you were Stephen and what would you do if you were John the Baptist? But I think the bigger question is not would you be willing to die for Christ? But with a real backbone and with faith in the truth of the word of God, will you live for him? Will you live a sacrificial life? Not a sacrificial death. Would you live a sacrificial life? One of the beautiful things about our country is the way we admire people willing to enter the military and sacrifice all that they have to sacrifice for the cause of their nation. It is good that we honor and admire that. It is also good and the highest honor that you would live sacrificially for the Lord Jesus Christ. Your soul will stand before him one day. Your soul needs to get, feel, embrace that he was slain for you. Your sins killed him. He died for you. The ultimate sacrifice of all is that the holy God, holy God died for the sinful people, that the worthy Christ died for the unworthy people, that the good God died for the sinful people. That's the ultimate sacrifice. And when you come to believe it, you say, I'll live for him. Now, in your joy, may you feel like it's hardly a sacrifice. I love my Savior. In your joy and in your obedience, may you feel like it's hardly a sacrifice. But we've lived long enough to know the roller coaster of this life and the highs and lows of the emotions that we feel. We're living in a day where many friends have turned in one direction or another, where many family members have turned one direction or another, and will you say that this word of God is true, and worthy is the lamb who was slain for my sins, and behold the lamb of God who takes away my sins and the sins of the world, and I will sacrifice my life, my desires, myself, my life for him because he's worthy to the ultimate extent of if it costs us our life because it says more is coming. But even if it doesn't cost us our life, will we surrender our lives to him because he's worthy? Because he's worthy. I remember being a kid. I've got a weak stomach and y'all know that. There's been 50 times I think since I've been here where I've gotten sick and thrown up. When I was youth pastor, I threw up at every event. And I do. I just have a really, really weak stomach. I can't ride in the passenger seat of a car. I get sick on a plane. Every single time we've gone to Ecuador, I've thrown up. I just get sick a lot. And I remember about this little kid. And I didn't know how to get to the toilet when I was about to throw up. And I've got vivid memories of me just throwing up in bed a lot. Where, it, you know, you vomit and it, it's on the sheets and it sinks through the sheets and it's, now it's on the mattress and you can wash sheets, but what do you do about a mattress? I mean, I don't know what mom did. But I remember that happened a lot. And I remember so much to this day, I can't wait to call her, 
of her loving me through and through, living a life that says, you're totally worth it. You're totally worth it. You're my kid. I love you. I'll do anything for you. You're worth it. Sacrifice is worth it. And you know that. You've stayed after work late. You've been over backwards in a tough time to finish the job. You've said no to this that you really wanted to do for a good reason over here. And the ultimate sacrifice of all is when by faith you realize that our sinful, unworthy lives have been bought, ransomed by the God that loves us. And we get to live for him. May it be your life. May it be your joy to say, I'll do anything for my God, for my Savior. I'll do anything for my King. I'll do anything for Jesus. He's worth it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this fifth seal and the martyrs and the value of souls and the worth of sacrifice. Father, thank you that your scriptures become a comfort to us as we navigate this tough life. We pray that you would make us people that will sacrifice. God, help us to not be wimpy and help us to not be shallow and help us not be fickle. Help us to be willing to sacrifice. Help us, God, to be able to set aside all that we dream of for the sake of being obedient to you. You're worthy. God, I do pray that you would raise up missionaries out of our church. God, raise up those who would go to the world and go out and go places for your sake. Help them to see that it's worth it. God, as we battle through this life, help us to never lose sight of you being worth it. God is worth it. Christ is worth it. Obedience is worth it. God, thank you for this fifth seal. And thank you, God, for all of those who have already given their lives. We honor them today. God, we ask the question right now, how long? And while we do not get an answer to that, we will trust you as we wait because you're worth it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.